from the fans for the fans. On this episode, we are talking about the... What is it we just saw? Eiffel Grand Prix. This is professional. <laughs> what did we watch again? Uh, it that's right. It was the Eiffel Grand Prix. It's been so many different Grand Prix we've watched over the past couple of weeks. It's just sort of blended into one. But that's right. We did watch the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. Um, I'm your host, Adam Wheeler. And uh, with me today, we have uh, Luca, our correspondent on esports and resident opinion correspondent. Yeah, opinions are like... Yeah, no, I've done that before. I'm not going to bother. <laughs> Carry on. That's all right. Uh, with me also is uh, Deputy Ed- Editor James. Hi, Adam. Good to be back. <clears throat> Brilliant. And with us also is the stat man, Chris. Afternoon. Well, I'll start off with a stat. It's been called four Grand Prix. The Eiffel Grand Prix, Luxembourg Grand Prix, German Grand Prix and European Grand Prix. So you can let them off for this one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh... I think um, who Ted described, didn't he, the reasons why it was called the Eiffel and not the German. It was to do with, you know, different controlling sponsorships, ADAC control. Um, is it ADAC control Nürburgring and someone else control Hockenheim? I can't exactly I, I remember. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All to do with the wrong people owning the wrong rights. Yeah. It was not weird, but I kind of like it. Um, I like the uh, the going trend of geographical naming of of circuits. Uh, you know, could we get the Northamptonshire Grand Prix one day at Silverstone or something? But um, well, I'm glad they didn't try it for the second Silverstone one because it crosses three county borders, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it was Buckinghamshire, Northamptonshire, and Bedfordshire. Isn't that right? Is it or Oxfordshire? <laughs> All right, I don't, I don't want to puncture anyone's tie, but we've got a lot to go through. This <laughs> you're right, you're right, Luca. Um, you're right. So yes, we are talking about the Eiffel Grand Prix. But before we do, going into the weekend, we had some big news. Uh, we were all stunned by the news that Honda will be withdrawing from Formula One in 2022. Um, the uh, I have a quote here that I'm going to read out, which was a, from the official statement given by Honda. They said, this difficult decision has been made in light of the quickly deteriorating operating environment facing the global auto industry. Brought on by the subprime problem in the United States, the deepening credit crisis and the sudden contraction of the world economies. Honda must protect its core businesses, activities and secure the long term uh, as widespread uncertainties in the economies around the globe continue to mount. Under these circumstances, Honda has taken swift and flexible measures to counter this sudden and expansive weakening of the marketplace in all business areas. So I don't know about all of you, but I was incredibly shocked by this news. Um, It seemed quite sudden at a time when uh, Honda and Red Bull seemed to be on the rise and that especially the closing of the gap in performances between the Honda PU and the Mercedes PU seemed, you know, it was going in the right direction Honda and Rebel were getting a few wins under their belts and we even saw AlphaTauri uh, really improving uh, this season with Gasly putting in some mega performances um, and in a lot of times outperforming the Ferrari which has been really really cre- incredible to see. Um, yeah, it's not that difficult. <laughs> I guess you're right. It's, 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 uh, anyone could, I guess uh, HRT could uh, do better <laughs> i wouldn't but, uh, go that far <laughs> you know so i just want to get some of your opinions on uh what are your thoughts on uh honda pulling out and uh it looks like luca has something to say so let's start with luca this is gonna probably sound quite depressing but honestly 
we should probably prepare for the inevitability that, heaven forbid, the only power unit left in F1 is Ferrari. I mean, I guess when every power unit is Ferrari, there's no real disadvantage because they're all equally bad. <laughs> no, my point is, is that when you look at the way that the automotive industry is going, we're heading for a point now because I think in like the next few decades, uh, petrol powered cars are going to be outlawed, well, not outlawed, but they just won't allow to be sold new ones and they'll all be going electric. And we're seeing that sort of head, head, head itself with Formula E. They have BMW, Mercedes, Nissan, um, uh, Audi, uh, there's, a, there's a load, I can't really name them all off the top of my head. Um, whereas F1 uh, are down to just three manufacturers. Uh, it is F1 will have to really dig deep to find a way of appealing more to manufacturers because the future is not going to be ICE orientated. Um, so in regards to Honda pulling out, I'm, I see it as no surprise and I won't, wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years the power unit uh, struggle will continue and we might lose Mercedes and Renault. I, I guess it's strange, isn't it? Because going into the Concord Agreement, everyone expected that costs uh, in relation to any sort of manufacturing or F1-related business would be much more manageable. And you'd think going into the next few years, Honda may may have seemed... may They seemed on board with the project going forward initially. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe hybrid is too expensive going forward. And, um, it, you know, it's a shame that we don't have... I remember people on Sky F1 were mentioning we don't have like a sort of a Cosworth or a private engine we can just pick off the shelf and deliver to certain uh, manufacturers because just the the amount of technology and the amount of expertise and costs needed to build and maintain these really complicated engines seem seem to be out of the norm of any sort of middle to low budget sort of engine corporation and the fact that Honda pulls out is a bit worrying for any other prospective engine manufacturer coming into the sport. Guys, uh, anyone else have anything to say on this? Yeah, with um, yeah, with the thought of you know Renault and Mercedes pulling out, there's there's a trend developing at the moment with with Renault's rebranding as Alpine for next year. Um, Mercedes has said that they're going to increase their AMG branding on the team. Um, and try and sort of tie the AMG brand into the F1 team a lot more. And when you see these kind of things happening together, I kind of wonder if with the electrification targets that you know Renault and Mercedes have set, if they're trying to sort of distance the parent brand from the gas-guzzling internal combustion engine of F1, um, gear it more towards the smaller brands like AMG and Alpine. And it does make you think in the future, perhaps, if they're going down that route, are the parent companies then going to look at it and think, well, we're not getting the kind of returns you want from being engine suppliers, is it really relevant to what we're doing and pulling out? And like Lucas said, you're then going to have Ferrari and we don't really have much on the horizon for people coming into F1. Yeah. Um, Chris, Chris, do you have anything to add on any of that? Well, both of them are in Formula E and um, the, the strange one is Honda are committed to IndyCar and IndyCar are going electric for in I think it's 2022 so it's yeah, a bit they're going peculiar, hybrid, but... aren't they? They're, is it hybrid yeah, they're going? yeah. yeah to a certain extent and so they've got the experience in it so I don't know why they're committed to that sport to an extent but then again I don't think it's to the degree of 
the levels that F1 are pushing barriers of MGU, HMGU, UK. It's just back to the days of curves, I think, to an extent. But mm. I think with regards yeah. IndyCar versus F1 for Honda, kind of reading between the lines of their statement, it seems to be a little bit they're not kind of getting the returns they want for the for the larger parent company for F1. Um, when you think F1 sort of quite, I know it's a global sport, but its audience is very Europe-centric. And Europe doesn't make up a lot of Honda sales. And it never really has, whereas their American market is huge. So it kind of makes sense for them to stay in IndyCar and keep the doing the, um, the domestic things like Super GT and Super Formula with those internal combustion engines, because again, their Asian market is a lot bigger than their Europe market. So yeah, if they're trying to cut costs, kind of makes sense that F1 was the one to go if they're not getting as much from it as they would from uh, an American series or an Asian series. Question, do we think Honda will have a future in sports such as Formula E going forward? Could could we see Honda buying out a private team such as Tachita and running running their own factory team there? Um, and I mean, going by what you said, James, um, you know, is Europe the market to do that? Is a European, a primarily European um, series such as Formula E the, the right way to go with that? Um, Luca, do you have any thoughts? Do you think Honda will probably go into Formula E in the future? I think most uh, big line um, corporations, manufacturers are destined to, to go into Formula E um, because, like I said earlier, with the way that the um, the way that most countries are now going to be heading with their future transportation uh, markets, it's going to it's it's inevitable, and. Um, I just want to go back earlier. This these sort of big manufacturer pullouts, such as Holden in um, in the Aussie supercars, and then you've got in DTM, Audi are pulling out. Mercedes have already pulled out. Aston Martin had a half-hearted effort getting into it. That the future for manufacturers in uh, championships like this, unless it has a really big immediate market profit, uh, it's it's never going to happen. Um, and I think the future of most motorsport that doesn't have much manufacturers behind it will be privateer-based, and it'll always just be about the independent teams, and there'll be no sort of major factory support in place. So with Honda go, going to Formula E, it only makes sense. It, it, this Formula E is going to be the, the main championship that a lot of these manufacturers will want to go into to help develop their electric technology for when the ban comes in for petrol-powered cars yeah um it's it's going to be interesting to see what red bull do going forward in 2022 what you know there's a very small list of options for them in 2022 I, you know we can't see mercedes uh, i think toto wolf said himself that they don't have the capacity to supply red bull um going in 2022 as they'll have mclaren um they'll have williams racing point and themselves all um, so capacity at, at Mercedes just can't deal with uh, supplying another team. Um, Ferrari, why would they go to Ferrari? It's a it's a very uncompetitive engine at the moment. It seems unlikely at this point. Could they? There's a small possibility, you know. Well, I will have to add that um, Renault, by sort of law of the build, have to supply them both engines. Um, he's up for that because Renault seems to be improving. Honda have said that they're going to build one more engine over the closed season 
four next year. Mm. They've already said that. Um, and I feel that AlphaTauri since 2010 have been their own independent team. That was the last, 2009 was the last time Nui had any say on the car. And 2014 was the last time, I think it's 2013, sorry. Uh, AlphaTauri, then Toro Rosso was Ferrari. I feel they're going to go separate ways. And AlphaTauri, mm. being Italian, is going to go Ferrari and Red Bull going to go Renault. That's a good shout. That's a really good shout. Um, although there is obviously the elephant in the room uh, going back to Renault with their tail between their legs. You know, <laughs> it'd just be amazing. Just the seeing the Drive to Survive episode with the, the Cyril and uh, <laughs> Horner conversation behind the scenes. Oh, it, you know what? That would just make my day seeing that. Um, but they are, I think there is, uh, they are contractually obliged to yeah. supply Red Bull with engines. Um, if they have no other option, given that they supply the least amount of teams on the grid, I think is the uh, the regulation. Um, there is also, I think there's another option for them in which there's discussions in that they buy the intellectual property of, of the Honda engine and potentially run it through the, is it the Meg, the, the Megwen or the, the Mugen? Mugen. Thanks. Thanks, Luca. <laughs> My shoddy pronunciation. <laughs> but, um, and run it from that, um, who, from them who have a, a base in Milton Keynes somewhere, I think, which might be quite handy. Um, oh, it'd be like yeah. the Jordans going back to the old school, Mugen Honda. Go on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> yeah, be like yeah. Uh, Murray Walker. Happy birthday to him, back, speaking about that over the weekend. But yeah, I'm hearing him, old Damon Hill and all that, when the one of the Belgian. Yeah. Yeah, how how old is how old is Murray? Did did we catch that? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Hell, Christ! He yeah, done one of the uh, one of the Grand Prix. I caught that over there. Um, I know going off topic a little bit when he when he sort of came out of retirement and such and done two thousand and seven Grand Prix of Nurburgring, uh, and that was mental. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I'm you know I'm unfortunate to have never watched a a race with Murray Walker commentating. It's I, you know, I mean, obviously, I've watched the historical races, but I've never, you know, watched a live race with Murray Walker commentating. It's quite, you know, I feel quite, <laughs> even though I'm, you know, 24, 25, I'm getting feeling quite, quite young. I don't know. It just feels strange. But uh, no, did any of you, did any of you hear a, or watch a race with Murray Walker live? When did he retire? 2001, the US Grand Prix, I think. Maybe, yeah. So maybe we we're just a bit out of reach. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I definitely am. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, moving on from the Honda news, uh, the only other real big talking points going into the weekend were that uh, Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilat both were scheduled to have free practice session runouts with Alpha Romeo and Haas, respectively. Um, unfortunately, due to uh, bad weather conditions, being that uh, the fog or poor visibility uh, couldn't allow the medical helicopter to fly safely, um at that time meant that no running could be done on friday and those two couldn't get a run out which was really unfortunate for all the fans especially for mick schumacher fans who were all at the circuit ready and waiting and they were just sitting there all day drenched and didn't get to see any running i know it was i don't know about you but i was sort of sat there like a lemon on us on the sofa just waiting for something to happen <laughs> i i was just i had the laptop in front of me and i just went and did some more yeah just <laughs> i just did nothing all day it just felt so weird but um i was really excited to see mick schumacher almost get his his run out you know um, and callum Eilat. you know they've been doing so well in formula two 
um, both P1 and P2 in the championship, respectively. And it almost, to me, seemed like a precursor to almost a set deal that Mick Schumacher is going to be in that Alfa Romeo next year. It, it, you know, the way that Mick was with the team and the way he was, you know, how he was throughout the entire weekend, he was with the Ferrari uh, team uh, on the pit wall watching how things went you got this sense that there's this inevitability that he's going to be in F1 next year, but we just, we don't know just yet until we know exactly the contract details with Raikkonen and Giovinazzi. But yeah. Um, anyone have anything to say on Mick Schumacher or Callum Eilat? Luca, what do you go for it? Um, Mick Schumacher, a lot of people have obviously given him a lot of um, crap because he he's, he's only there because his surname Schumacher. Well, he's definitely proven this year. I think I wrote an article um, during I think Schumacher Week talking about Mick and how his career has gone. And uh, we always know seen this trend of like he doesn't do brilliantly in the first year, um, but then in the second year when he's in the same championship, he either wins it or comes second when it comes to car race. And he finished second in German Italian F4 in 2016 after his uh, first year. And then in Euro F3, he didn't win in his first year at all. But then in the second half of 2018, he won so much and won the championship somehow. And I, I said that I was I was half expecting him to have been beaten by Robert Schwartzman, the current F3 champion. And Mick really was like very consistent at the beginning part of the year. And he just quietly started making, just stamping authority. And I was just amazed by it. Um, and so... I wouldn't be surprised at all, uh, considering Ferrari do have a stranglehold on one of the Alfa Romeo seats. And as much as I like Giovinazzi, I do think, despite how I think thrown in at the deep end, he really has been a bit like Stoffel van Dorn at McLaren. He's probably not going to be in that seat next year. Um, he'll probably stay on at Ferrari, though. Uh, but I think if if any driver is going to go into that seat, instead it will definitely be Mick Schumacher, and I think he'll do phenomenally. As for Callum Eilott... I think he's definitely going to really lose out because he's in his second F2 year. Um, so he doesn't have really much of a reason to stay in F2 beyond this year if he misses out on an F1 seat. And even if he does, he's then going to be leapfrogged by Robert Schwartzman. I do feel bad because I think Eilat has proved himself over the years to be a phenomenal driver. And I'm, I, I do hope he can find a seat, but I just don't see where he could go realistically. Because Ferrari don't have the same authority over one of the Haas seats as they do with Alfa Romeo. Um, so if he ends up missing now, it's going to suck. And yeah, I, those are my opinions on Mick and Mick Schumacher and Kyle Mylott. They are phenomenal drivers and it's good in that they missed out on some free running, but they're going to get it in Abu Dhabi instead. Yeah. Um, James, did you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I just wanted to add on the Callum Eilert thing. Like there was a. There was a comment, I'm sure some people might have seen it, from Gunter Steiner ahead of the weekend, saying that Callum Eiler, even though he's running in FP1 with Haas, wasn't on Haas's shortlist for next year, which seemed really surprising. When they said they had a 10-driver shortlist, you kind of assumed there was Grosjean and Magnussen, and then Schumacher, Eiler and Schwartzman, Perez and Hulkenberg, maybe a couple others. But the fact that he said Eiler wasn't on the list was really shocking, because he's been so good in F2 years this year he led the championship for so long he's still in contention for the championship now and I think I think Steiner did come out and say you know if he performs well in FB1 he could make it onto the list but it wasn't a given that he was on there and that yeah there's there's just something about 
Islet that for some reason he seems to get overlooked quite easily despite his results and despite his talent. And I think when you're in a kind of when you're in the Ferrari stable with you know Schumacher and Schwartzman, you've obviously got Schumacher as the son of Michael Schumacher. And Robert Schwartzman has been on this kind of meteoric rise and seems to be like Ferrari's golden boy in a way. And I think when you're up against those two with that kind of almost a sort of superstar quality put onto them, it's it's been hard for Eilert to distinguish himself, despite the fact that he's done so brilliantly in F2 and he's ahead of Schwartzman in the championship considerably. He's uh, he's well within reach of the championship himself. But yeah, I I don't quite know if he is going to make it onto the grid for next year, and that is that would be a real shame. And like Lucas said, I don't know where he would go if he doesn't, if he would stay in F2 for next year. If he does stay in F2, he's going to have an incredibly difficult job being in that title fight again, because you're likely going to have someone like Schwartzman, Christian Lungard, um, these very quick drivers coming through, perhaps Oscar Piastri coming out of F3. Yeah, It's going to be hard to sort of repeat this performance next year if he has to do it again. And yeah, I really feel for the guy. Yeah, I know I agree. And we heard that Ferrari were almost going to guarantee Schumacher a place in F1, given that he would finish top three in the standings. Mm. So you get this feeling that despite whether Eilat finishes first or second above Schumacher, you still would expect Schumacher to get that Formula One drive over Eilat, um, regardless, really. So it, he does seem a bit in a rock between a rock and a hard place at this point. And he's obviously up against the likes of Perez and Hulkenberg and mm. obviously the two incumbent uh, Haas drivers, Magnussen and Grosjean, who aren't, you know, they're not slouches. Um, it's a really competitive, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's really competitive to get into a Haas seat, I guess, for next year. Um, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of people who are vying for it. Chris, did you have anything to add on any of that? When, when it comes to Alpha, you've got to think it was where Kimi started and uh, move on to Kimi in a moment. So Kimi probably has that tied down just to loyalty, really. And then Schumacher, well, a bit of Ferrari wheeler dealing. Uh, with Eilat, and uh, when it comes to Gibbonazzi, I reckon he'll move, move on to maybe GT Endurance or something like that. Eilat, uh, well, he's, he's probably just come to the seat at a wrong time. Maybe Formula E. Um, I, I eventually see Formula E and F1 merging probably eventually. Now that's how it's going to end up. Maybe twenty forty or something like that. They'll, they'll it'll be eventually the one big series. That's a big shout, like, Chris. That's a, well. Should, should we put some money on that? Or yeah, we'll hold you to that. that you know. <laughs> how old will you be in twenty forty? <laughs> how old I'll be in twenty forty? Well. Uh, I'm 29 on the set on the Sunday. There we are. So, <laughs> be, uh, 40, 45, something like that. But there we are. Um, uh, and then Schwartzman, and he get he gets the test in Abu Dhabi. But what's what's the odds on Schumacher and I? I, um, I look maybe getting a drive out beforehand because there's no F2 action until Bahrain. Yeah. Oh no, because you got Portimao, Imola, and Istanbul. Yeah, the, the teams are really going to want to run it those tracks in particular, considering the the fact that they're still fairly new and they don't have much data on them. But I'm saying with Bahrain you've got two you got two sets of action. Like are they, are they really gonna bother with F, with FP one and FB two two weekends in the track? Are they really gonna need to do the testing at well, Bahrain? Well they're two different layouts. Yeah. 
I would imagine they'd run again at one of the Bahrain weekends, but it's not much before Abu Dhabi, is it? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Alonso that joins the young driver test. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and then uh, and then say with with uh, I lot, I don't, I don't think I think he's just come at a wrong time. Uh, I think he'll pastures new, maybe somewhere else. Um, pass. Um, They've had the same teammates for about four years now, so they might have to try a new partnership to get somewhere going. Um, if if uh, Luca wants to, he can do his Gunter Stein impression. Um, May I? Yeah, no, you have to go for it. <clears throat> Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen, you are doing terribly. I will replace you with Nikita Mazepin and get money from his $7.1 billion father. <laughs> Not, not, not that we know that Mazepin is confirmed for half of 2021. But, you know. I hope not, but it's going to happen. He's going to have a super license points. That's true. There, there's, there's his stab. Um, so <laughs> you, you say Mazepin and uh, Schwartzman, yeah? Uh, <laughs> well, to be fair, Haas is an American team. They need Russian backing to, to, to do something about whatever they're doing. It's, it's clear. It's very much like their uh, government. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> hot take by me. But I mean, I mean, quickly, just touching on Mazepin, why you've just done that. He's actually done not too bad this year. He's had a few feature race wins and a few good qualifying performances. He has put himself in the frame, I guess, for a seat, maybe. Um, I've, I've, Mazepin's always been a bit of a weird one for me. I've always seen him as a talented driver, but just. He's always been surrounded by superstars who always seem to take the limelight. And no, I disagree on that. No. Oh, okay. No, no. Go for it, Luca. What, what, what I think have? I should let James have this one first. He looks like he wants to say something. I was just going to say, I yeah, I think Mazepin is a good driver. I mean, I saw him in. Um, I can't remember if it was F three or if it was still the last year of GP three. I can't remember when they changed. But when he was up against, um, you know, Hubert for the championship, and he ran him quite well for that. Um, last year in F two, he was really off but there seems to be a thing about the second seat at ART um it seems to be a kind of curse where one driver at ART does really well and the teammate not so much but yeah he has been very very good this year in F2 although there's a caveat in that um high tech his team joined the grid largely because his father put a lot of money behind the high tech F2 operation to have a team built around Nikita um so he's got a very very lucky situation there um, but no, he has put in a lot of good results and he's, yeah, I, I don't, I'd be very surprised if he was on the F1 grid for next year. I don't think he's quite done enough for that, but his father keeps on trying to buy teams for him. He's tried to buy so many teams now. <laughs> Williams, Boss <laughs> India, Renault maybe, I'm not sure. Haas Possibly. Daddy um, Stroll talking about, sorry. You think that uh, whenever a team is puts like the for sale sign outside, he's the first person at the door, and they're like, "For goodness' sake, Mazepin, stop, go. We know it's you. We don't want it." <laughs> it doesn't help that and it's a bit like Latifi. Latifi had a very underwhelming career, then he had one good year in F two when after about five seasons, and as soon as he got the super license points, that meant that any for sale seat was up, and he. And his, now all of the companies that his dad owns is plastered all over the car. The only thing about Latifi over Mazepin, though, is at least he's a good guy because Mazepin's a tosser. Like, he <laughs> punched Callum Eilat during in Euro F3. And then over the weekend, I don't know if you guys know this, he tried to, like, 
out a current Formula One driver is gay. Really? Did not know that. I did not. I, I I don't want to say who, but basically this this driver was on his Instagram live, and they were trying to. Get, I can say who it was, and it wasn't Lando Norris because the current the driver in question. Don't say it on the air if you're looking for it now. But um, th- this current driver was like, oh, I'm, Lando doesn't want me to reveal his secrets. And Nikita Maspin said, I know a secret about you. You could say it was a coming out. Can you believe that? That's mm. I did not know that. That's quite shocking. Um, well, he's, a, he's, he's another Tictum. He's another Ferrucci. You, you can oh. go F himself, frankly. Oh, your favourite. Anyway, moving on. Well, <laughs> well Maspin is not endorsed for the, the half seat if Gunter Steiner is watching. Um, well, let's uh, move on to the race. I think that's a good, uh, good moment to swiftly move on. So, just to give you a quick recap of uh, the Eiffel Grand Prix, uh, we started off with Valtteri Bottas and Pole with Hamilton uh, lined up just alongside him. Uh, Hamilton made a better start than Bottas and died for the inside at the first corner, pushing him wide. But Bottas held his ground and recovered the lead on the inside of the second corner. That gave Bottas control of the race, but Hamilton pressured him hard. And in the end, the leader buckled. Bottas handed the advantage back to Hamilton on lap 13, locking a wheel into turn one and running wide, allowing Hamilton to close in and pass for the lead around the outside of turn two. Three laps later, the race fell further into Hamilton's hands when a virtual safety car allowed him and Verstappen to pit for fresh tyres and retain their positions ahead of Valtteri Bottas. And two laps after that, Bottas retired with a suspected failure of the MGUH part of the hybrid system. Hamilton went on thus to take his 91st win of his career, matching that of Michael Schumacher's famous illustrious record and surely taking his place uh, as one of F1's most successful drivers in history. The official top 10 classification was Lewis Hamilton followed by Max Verstappen. Uh, The podium place, final podium place was taken by Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, fourth place was, <laughs> I can see Luca and James are quite happy with that. Uh, fourth place, Sergio Perez, followed by Carlos Sainz, fifth. Uh, sixth place was taken by Pierre Gasly, followed by Charles de Klerk. And debutant, Nico Hulkenberg, uh, Roman and then Antonio <laughs> Giovinazzi, uh, rounded out the top ten. Um, was that a slip of the tongue, Adam? <laughs> that was a, yeah, I misspoke. Um, Let's see. Uh, Returning driver, shall we say. Um, And we had, of course, many retirements. We had uh, Lando Norris, uh, Alex Albon, Esteban Ocon, Valtteri Bottas and George Russell, all not finishing the Eiffel Grand Prix. So I think we really can only start with Lewis Hamilton, really, and the incredible 91 wins that he achieved uh, this weekend. Um, Now, you know, Going sort of a bit more personal on this, um, I started watching Formula One around 2008, actually, and Hamilton um, Hamilton really got me into the sport, you could say. Um, the actual, the first race I ever saw was the championship winning race at Brazil. Me uh, too. When you overtook Glock. Was that Luca? Was that? Me as well. Really? That's, yeah. that's so weird. No, that it was. And uh, I remember it vividly. I remember just being in my uh, in my room, um, watching watching the TV and jumping up and down for some reason, at seeing Lewis Hamilton cross the line to take the championship. I, I you know, I, I it it was just unbelievable at the time, just seeing this boy from Stevenage, you know, take on the world and eventually win. 
And I never thought once that he would go on to match the record of Michael's um, and, you know, and maybe go on and beat it now. Um, you know, it's just an unbelievable achievement that I'm not quite sure a lot of people maybe have grasped yet. You know, I'd almost compare it to, you know, Nadal equaling Federer's record 20 Grand Slams, you know, the couple of days ago, or, or Chris Hoy winning all of his gold medals at the Olympics. It's, you know, it's just a staggering sporting achievement. Um, and that the fact that Lewis is now going to, without a shadow of doubt, be reckoned as one of the most successful, if not the most successful F1 driver of all time is, is completely staggering. And let's not remember Lewis you know, went into his McLaren debut season against the likes of Fernando Alonso and Kimi Raikkonen and almost wiped the floor with them in his first time of trying. And since then, he's taken on the likes of, Val, you know, Sebastian Vettel and Nico Rosberg Bottas. And Don't you dare uh, say Valtteri Bottas. And Jensen Button. And he's taken them all on and won along the way. So I just, I just think it's an absolutely unbelievable achievement. And seeing him, seeing him on that top step um with the Schumacher helmet which maybe one of you might want to touch on kind of was was really it was it was quite emotional actually um did you get the tissues <laughs> uh yeah no I uh I, I mean I was almost there I didn't quite but uh, I could feel I could feel myself almost getting to the point of crying but I just about held it um yeah who wants to start with that Luca why don't we start with you why thank you um, so, as ever, people have taken to try to, you know, defend Schumacher's honour. Uh, and this is because how dare Hamilton be mentioned in the same breath of, as this legend? Hamilton does not deserve it. He's a crybaby, blah, blah, blah. I don't, people are always trying to sort of discredit Hamilton, say he's like, oh, lucky in that. I, of course, he has had like the best car for the past. Well, five of the last seven years, maybe. And he, but you still need to do the job. And the fact is that Hamilton is, he, he, he he's had the tools to do it. And he, he's over delivered on so many levels. The fact that he can, he's probably the, the driver who is very much certain to probably be the only one, but definitely the first one to break 100 in both poles and wins. And so, like, he could probably do that as, like, early as next year because um, he, he's on 91 now and needs nine more and there's not yeah. nine races left in the season. Um, he it is just incredible to think about because I think everyone just assumed that Schumacher's records, because when he got to 91, the next closest was Alain Prost. He was 40 wins behind. And so you would never think in a million years that these records would be surpassable. And, he, and he's... Um, I think, I think Hamilton this year, especially in the midst of everything that's going on, he's really taken his star power and done something with it because I think many sports people are told to stay in their lane and because, oh, they're overly privileged and all that. Um, but he's really done something with the world and with his power. And I think because uh, he's now just founded a racing team as well to compete in Extreme E, um, which is a sport that is a more formal motorsport that's set on sustainability and a lot of people assume that because Hamilton's preaching about environmental stuff means that he hates motorsport somehow it's more the fact that he wants to try and make motorsport sustainable for the future and I think that that's can only be a great thing so I think Hamilton has definitely solidified his status as, as a legend and I think the motorsport world should be grateful for him 
Yeah. Thanks, Luca. That was quite quite nicely put. Um, James, did you have anything to add add on to that? Uh, it was it was incredible. Like it didn't quite sink in what Hamilton had done for a bit after the race. I think until I saw Mick Schumacher giving Hamilton Michael's helmet and Hamilton kind of absorbing what had happened. Um, I did a, a piece before the weekend, like a little uh, kind of look back at the 2013 German Grand Prix, the last time we were at the Nurburgring, and I did a quick tot up of. Hamilton's wins at that point and he had you know back then Hamilton had one championship and 21 race wins and it made me think you know he's had 70 wins since then <laughs> that's inc- that's more than most drivers what's well, more than any driver other than himself yeah. and Schumacher have had in their entire career yeah he is undoubtedly one of the best drivers of all time and I know that's always going to be up for debate and people are going to say about different eras and you can't compare drivers but he is undoubtedly one of the best drivers of all time. And I'm personally so excited to see him extend this record. And yeah, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea that he's winning so many races, but I think it's amazing that we get to see an athlete on top of his game like this and we get to see it. You know, we don't have to read about it uh, on the internet 20, 30 years after Mm. the fact. We get to see the history of this sport being made at the moment. Mm. yeah um chris anything to add yeah you've got to put him in your sort of top bracket um top top the top of the crop i mean to put it in aspects sort of it was his he's number 44 and that was just 44 finishing a row um so it's a sport game um he, he drives it and that it's britain 18 to eiffel 20 um and then 90 wins in a row and then sort of to put the aspect and then joint second to the record is him again japan 16 to france 18 he's had one retirement since japan 2016 so wow. reliability's there and he doesn't throw it in well he may shoot schumacher during his career he was known for to a degree or sometimes having a paddy well Bill yeah Nerf. <laughs> no, nicely put, Chris. I mean, hell. I mean, uh, I, mean I was watching so, one of but, the and, then, and so we didn't have the radio back then, so yeah, to a degree. So, but then that's comparing eras, and then you could be there all day, like like say Jackie Stewart, for example, when he won the Norge Life by four minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly stuff you can't compare, but. They're definitely one of, or is he the best? But then, you know, but then you'd have some people in the corner say, no, he isn't because he's got the best material, he's got the best car. Because Bottas, for example, he should be putting more of a fight up like Rosberg did. I think we should uh, put a disclaimer up that Chris is heavily anti Bottas at this point. <laughs> so anything he says is his. I'm anti Hamilton. I'm, I'm giving him credit. <laughs> And uh, I like his aim. See, what what is your what is your thought on um, Hamilton's overtake for the win? Do you think that Bottas gifted him it? Did did Bottas slow down, lock up? Was was that mistake caused by um, already failures with the MGUH we didn't see, or was that was that a genuine overtake for the win that we saw? Well, he Bottas bottled it. Hamilton, he Bottas wouldn't have done that, and then ha- would have been like, oh. Yeah, damn it, my bad. Come through Hamilton. No, he uh, Hamilton had to had to make the move stick anyway. 
but he was very heavily advantaged by the fact that Bottas had locked his um his tire. Uh, I I'm not sure about. I think it might like the MGUH. I'm not entirely sure what that has to do with the braking system. Maybe is that like regeneration or something? The MGUH is uh yeah that's right. The MGUH is the recovery of the oh the energy then I'm brakes. Um, I think he was probably fair. It was probably failing by that point then already. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know whether the because you saw basically that Hamilton was closing in and closing in up until the point when he did lock his brakes up. So I didn't know whether um, that had maybe that had something to do with why Hamilton was closing up or that Hamilton is just brilliant, <laughs> which is probably the latter. A bit of both, I reckon. You know. Bottas tires went, and I'm and I'm not anti Bottas. I'm just anti Mercedes, and I'm giving Hamilton credit. You've got to give me credit for saying that. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, you do. <laughs> it, it's um, you know, and the but the fact that he was able to to uh, take that win um at the Nurburgring at the you know the German uh, Grand Prix in a way the home of Mercedes that could only be a positive in in equal their in eyes. Schumacher, equal in Schumacher, only fifty five miles away from where he was born. Wow, um, that's that's I didn't I didn't actually know that. Where where was Hamilton born again? Not Hamilton, Schumacher. Uh, Schumacher, sorry. Where was Schumacher? Born in Stevenage, mate. Wrong country. Yeah. <laughs> he was Schumacher was born and raised in Kirkford, uh, which is just to the west of Cologne. Right, right. Oh, just incidentally, where Holpenberg was before. Yeah, let's get. I think we should get onto him right now. <laughs> yeah, we could actually. That's a good point. Um, Can I just raise one more step, please? Go for Go it. Go on. So just just to compare, just just to throw Bottas under the water a little bit more. In the last three and a half seasons, he's only led 611 laps. Wow. Do we have a question? Verstappen, Verstappen's led 530. Wow. And That's Rosberg led 1,533. So, so come on. See, Anybody want nine races? Come on, Bottas, pick it up. I do feel a little We're still waiting for this master plan that he, he said that I'm... <laughs> to beat F1 2020. Was that the game or was that the actual <laughs> season? <laughs> Sorry. I, I, it's all right. No, I, I do feel a little bit for Bottas in a way that um, going into this race, you know, <clears> he had won the previous race, he'd taken pole position and to an extent he was leading with, you know, he was in with a shout of the win and had he won this, he would have still easily been with the, within a shout of the championship. Um, he'd done quite well up to this point to change the momentum in his favour. And I think it's quite unfortunate that he had to retire from the race in such a way that really has given Hamilton, what, a 69-point lead in the championship now? So nice. That's, that's, that's game, set and match, isn't it? Pretty much. I mean, stranger things can happen, but like Chris said, Hamilton's had next to no retirements in the last few years. So you can't, can't really count fail. on that happen. Yeah, he drives that car so smoothly, apparently, that it just doesn't break down. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything that Hamilton doesn't do right on track? <laughs> apart from apart from parking at the end of a... Doing yeah. a start at the end of the pit lane. <laughs> the only thing that's going to happen is going to back mark is going to hit him or he's going to have a collision with Bottas or probably... Albon. Verstappen. Yes. Well, yeah. Albon went a bit, bit skitsy, didn't he? But... Yeah. Let's go. Let, one, one thing at a time. I want to talk about Hulkenberg. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think Luca really, really wants to talk about Hulkenberg. So let's Super go. Super sub out Hulkenberg. Let's go. Um, 
yeah, he was once again drafted in at last minute by Racing Point due to the fact that Lance Stroll had come over with some illness that we're not entirely sure what it is, but I believe that uh, after a few COVID tests that they both they all came back ne negative, so it wasn't COVID, but he'd been suffering with something since just after the Russian Grand Prix and obviously he hadn't recovered to the point. He drank some tea. <laughs> he drank some really... He drank some tea um, and he had to obviously sit out for this weekend. And of course, none other than Nico Hulkenberg, probably sitting in some cafe somewhere, having a croissant in Cologne, had to, had to come. Well, no, tell a lie. He was already on his way to the Nürburgring doing some uh, duties for RTL. So in actual fact, it worked out quite well that he was sort of around the general, general area. Uh, and just happened to have his race helmet in the boot of his car. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> as if he expected it to happen, <laughs> you could say. But um, he came in last minute and he didn't even get to take part in any free practice session, as we saw, due to the fact that obviously free practice one, free practice two got rained off. And it was so last minute um, that he couldn't take part in FP3 and went straight into qualifying um, into Q1, which was such a tall order. And obviously he finished in uh, at the bottom in last place um which is not more he couldn't really do more uh, than that he had about four laps in order to get used to the car and to the track um which was incredibly difficult but i think he only finished half a second off i can't remember who finished just ahead of him was it was it giovanazzi or raikkonen or something but no, it was uh, half it was... a second off of giovanazzi who was like the last driver who could have been knocked out yeah like he was in 15th so he made it through yeah, which is which is not too bad, which is not too bad. And then give you know, during the race, he made his way from last place all the way up to P8, given there was some luck in that a few people dropped out and this and that, but he still held his own and he overtook Sebastian Vettel in a Ferrari. <laughs> you know, this guy has just been difficult. sitting on the sidelines playing FIFA for four months or something, and he's just come in at last not minute. And an absolutely terrific <laughs> job and um go on let's let's talk a bit about nika hulkenberg then go on luca i just he, he i've run out of superlatives for him um he was in a in a rush at the at silverstone to replace perez um didn't end up racing the first time round and then ended up qualifying third in the uh in the second race the second silverstone race at replacing perez and then when perez came back um covid negative for Spain, he, it was back to business as usual, sitting there twiddling his slums. And then to like come along at the Nürburgring the way he did, uh, with, with everyone having had only one hour's practice and he had none, and to be only half a second away from a Q2 appearance was already pretty great, considering it was his first time turning the wheel in anger at that particular venue. Um, and then to finish eighth, it's just, it's incredible. Like, do we, I, I'm honestly about to say it, but I think losing an F1 drive at the end of last year was probably a blessing in disguise because it's only just made his performances more prolific. He has done incredibly. And I'm just, I don't know who's, who would end up taking him next year. Haas should have signed him it's, instead of having Grosjean. Um, but they wanted to have some kind of continuity before the 2021 regulations came in. Now it's 2022. So that's, that's kind of not, not the case anymore. Um, I, Maybe Alpha, if uh, Raikkonen decides to re to retire, although Perez is probably a bit higher on that list. There, uh, he he needs to be somewhere, 
we can't we can't just let talent like Hulkenberg go to waste. And I'm just I'm just so happy that he that he that he performed the way he did. I I wasn't expecting him to get into the points after Saturday, but he, he did. And uh, also a little interesting anecdote for Silverstone, the first Silverstone race, he obviously had a plain black helmet, like just plain carbon with a few like sponsor decals put on. Traditionally, BWT, the uh, the Austrian water company that sponsor Racing Point, they ask for all their driver, the, the drivers of Racing Point to always have pink helmets. And the fact that Hulkenberg, <laughs> he brought along a yellow helmet, like... Oh, that must have irked them a little bit, wouldn't it? <laughs> like you did have like that that pink helmet ready like by the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, but then he like oh screw it, we can't we can't satisfy the the Austrian water company. You're just going to have to go out with a yellow helmet. Not the worst thing in the world. It was his Renault one. Yeah, well, it, it was Renault, and then he had like the plastered over sponsors or something. Like, I think notes. Right on the front, <laughs> bit of black tape to cover. I assume it was Renault. <laughs> I don't know why he had that in the first place. Like maybe they were like asking him for some kind of ornaments for RTL. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, phenomenal drive by Hulkenberg. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you do you have anything to add on that? Uh, well, top German and to put more top German. He's out. There's only two. <laughs> well, he's outscored Vettel in the last seven races. And he's only been involved in two of them. Um, <laughs> Ten points <laughs> there. Um, and uh, here's a curveball for you. Uh, I think Albon uh, done an inconclusive um, test for COVID, and uh, a certain Marco was on the phone as well. Um, super sub indeed. Um, odds of Hulk to Red Bull next year. Hmm, that's uh, that's a, that's an interesting shout. Uh, I didn't I didn't actually know that. He was he was about to super sub Albon if he if the positive test came back, is that right? Because Sonoda weren't about, um, and their their um, other standbys weren't about. Set a camera. He, I mean, set a cameras in Japan, and Buemi just wasn't around. Yeah, so the only super sub that's about. <laughs> you know, it almost it's almost strange, isn't it, that we're um, we're still sort of in a point where official reserve drivers and and test drivers aren't really being used i i kind of want to just touch on the fact that stoffel van dorn is yeah. officially supposed to be racing points reserve driver and he was there that weekend ready and waiting for anything to happen and he once again did not get the opportunity to drive and that he didn't have a seat for him um <laughs> of him playing cod in in his in his little <laughs> motorhome going right well that's me for the weekend like kind of feel bad for him in a way um, but it raises the question as to why teams don't have these reserve and test drivers on site, especially in this time of uncertainty in COVID. Do you think it'd be more it'd be more important to bring your reserve driver to the test track? Although if you know, it's all well and fine having Hulkenberg on standby at <laughs> any given moment, but it is. I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy seeing Hulkenberg drive. I'm just, I feel a bit sorry for Van Dorn that he didn't get an opportunity at the time. Um, James, do you have anything to add on any of that? I, I agree with you. I When the season started, I expected to see a flurry of kind of recent XF1 drivers being signed to reserve roles, like um, like we had Van Dorn and Gutierrez at Mercedes. I expected someone like Duresta to come back in the frame. and But there's been nothing. And I, I find it really surprising when um, 
when Racing Point needed Hulkenberg the first time, there was the talk of it being Gutierrez coming in, and then obviously he didn't have a super license because he hadn't done the... Was it, it literally minimum? expired days before, didn't it? Yeah, and they need to do like the minimum 300 kilometres of running in a car, and Mercedes said, well, we're just not going to bother giving him that. <laughs> <I> thought, <laughs> what? He's your reserve driver. What happens if Bottas or Hamilton can't take a race? And they're just like, well, we didn't bother doing the paperwork then, for our reserve driver. Then they just call and, up Hulkenberg, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happens if two drivers in the paddock are ill because teams can't share Nico Hulkenberg. He seems to be the <laughs> official F1 reserve driver, though. No, yeah. no, no, no. Here's what they silly. do. Here's what they do. One team has Nico Hulkenberg. The other team has Nico Bruce Bannerberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Maybe he just races in one car and they like split the livery down the side, like the BAR, and then they just oh, share the constructors' yes. points. <laughs> Or they, or they could do a Formula E. They could just like drive. He could drive half of what, like one car for half the race, and he parks it back in the garage, hops in the second car, and then drives the another half the race with that. Maybe. But it, it is really um, odd that they've got like you know Red Bull. We just touched on. They have Sete Camera and Sebastian Buemi, who are both extremely good drivers, and neither of them were there at the weekend. And you know Stoffel Van Dorn is shared between Mercedes, Racing Point, McLaren. I think there's another team, but I can't remember who. And yet he's not their first choice, despite the fact he's on circuit. He's already done a COVID test. He's got the contracts in place and everything. And yet they still phone someone in from outside who then has to miss practice because of it. It's bizarre. It's an odd think situation. Of, think of the distracted boyfriend meme. And it's just on my sack now. It's like a guy like that. Like that. I know people can't see it. But then like Stoffel with a really like pissed off face and Hulkenberg like, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Um, yeah, but kudos to Nico Hulkenberg. Fantastic mm. performance. Can't can't praise it enough. Um, but another good performance this weekend, Daniel Ricardo getting his first podium for Renault and you know, spurring on all the tattoo memes on social media, because <laughs> obviously Cyril Abitable made a an agreement with uh, Daniel Ricardo of a few bottles of beer saying that once they got their first podium, that he will get a tattoo. And it will happen. So, you know, uh, keep keep up to date with social media and we'll see what happens with that. But once again, um, Daniel Ricciardo has been putting in some amazing performances as of recently. And uh, I think really, I only really started to notice it sort of around Silverstone um, when uh, he was battling with Signs just before Signs' <clears throat> tyre blew out. And he obviously he took P4 uh on that day i think he took p4 on that day and yes since then there have been bits and bobs of 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 amazing performances like uh, um magello for example and and this um which he's just had a fantastic season and he made the one stop work was it the one stop that he did i'm pretty was it uh i think he made another stop under the safety car yeah he did uh, was it that he was on the hard tires and that he was made, trying to make? What was what was Daniel Ricciardo's strategy? He, uh, he hit it, oh, hit it very early, um, much earlier than everyone else. I think he had like, if he'd have there'd been no safety car at the end, he would have had to have done forty four laps out like on the on That's one right. compound of tires. Hmm. And Perez was on the same compound and catching up to him very quickly, and the safety car saved him. Yeah, I yeah. think Renault were looking at a one stop, but yeah, like Lucas said, the safety car really saved them at the end yeah because you, you he put underneath the v vsc but it ended as soon as he went in the pit so he didn't really benefit from the vsc that's right mm. yeah but um it's i think it's just a fantastic achievement for both him and and renault who seem to be on the rise at the moment you know um it might 
be a bit of a slap in the face that he's now going to McLaren, um, who Renault seemed to be outperforming most weekends as of recently. Um, although given the fact that the midfield is incredibly tight and you can't re really read into that, it's maybe not too much of an issue. But um, certainly Renault seemed to have got their act together. And I think there was a report saying that the wind tunnel there been progress been made there in terms of the aerodynamic, in terms of the diffuser area of the car that made some gains. <clears throat> um, and you have to sort of think that, especially with uh, McLaren having to uh, take a new engine next year, which will kind of compromise their design for 2021. They're going to have to fit around a new engine around the bodywork and a new chassis. Um, and they're obviously struggling with uh, the direction of the front end of the car. We saw that they were playing with different bits and bobs and, which Carlos had on his uh, car, and he was really struggling uh, this weekend, as Lando was in qualifying last time out when he had the updates on the car. So McLaren seemed to be struggling at the moment, and it's Renault that are picking up the pieces. And with Racing Point, who seemed to, who had a really good start of the season, don't seem to have quite the longevity in development as Renault do. I think Renault are kind of really poised at the moment to maybe nip that P3 in the Constructors' Championship and maybe do, you know, go on to do quite well next season. So, yeah, what, what do we all think about that? Shall I go first? Yes. I seem to go first all the time. I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> You're just um, getting there first. You're too yeah. quick. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I don't... I, a lot of people will obviously think that Ricardo might have played himself by signing for McLaren, but I genuinely believe that... It will come good for for Ricardo. I do, I I think he's um made a, I think he has made a good move going to to McLaren. Um, even if at the moment Renault look like the better option. Um, I will say though, did anyone see after the race he was being interviewed by Lawrence Moretto on, on, on F1 TV, and uh, Lawrence's like, why didn't you do a shoey? And and he was like, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> he actually made it onto Reddit on r slash watch people die inside. Like, Ricardo, <laughs> like, he'd forgotten his, his age-old tradition, which, to be fair, he hadn't been on the podium since May 2018 when he won at Monaco, which is yep. bizarre to think about, honestly. You need my stat. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> in any case, I'm delighted for Ricardo, uh, mainly because I, I, I think we all want to see what tattoos... I, he said it's something to do with, like, Something to do with him, but with a German spin on it. So I reckon it'll be a honey badger with a lederhosen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Chris, Chris, what a, what um what tattoo suggestion would you give Cyril if you could? So, sort of something similar, probably just like pretty something small. Um if you uh hear um Hornet of Verstappen, he was being a bit cheeky saying, Oh yeah, oh by the way, um Cyril's gonna get that um tattoo and they were having a little joke over the radio so you can see across the paddock it's it's like a little running theme um, um he, ricardo did do the shoe in the end he done it on his instagram yeah. um down the hatches um but yeah i think i think the move will come good because it's not it's not a bad move it's this mercedes after all so um they'll whatever they they'll lose maybe in design they'll gain on the front the straights um and then you got a bit of bit of friendship with him because him and Norris get on like a wildfire. So it'd be hard mm -hmm. to hopefully when COVID decides to go and they'll have a bit more interaction. I mean, that they they still like 
when they do the um, interviews and stuff like that. Sort of every, every now and then you see them like poking and prodding each other, like pulling down the hoods and stuff. It's just going to be who, who's going to contain the two of them. So um, instead of ever having the rivalry of two people that can't stand each other, it'll be who can control them. Yeah. So it's going to be a proper friendly team, but I just hope it doesn't turn into something sour. <laughs> um yeah i just kind of want to touch on that i thought perez did such a good job this weekend and i was kind of rooting for him in a way to kind of pit ricardo i know that there's loads of ricardo fans out there more so than there are perez fans but given the fact that he doesn't even have a race seat for next year it would have it just Mm. kind of made sense to me that he if he would have got that podium oh there's a sham that middle finger to to racing point as he's leaving the door. Um, and I think his last podium was 2018 as well. So both Ricardo and Perez were vying for that, that podium for the same length of time in a way. But um, I think had the safety car not happened, he would have been on for it, to be honest. Well, he, was, yeah. he was, he was on the faster. Well, he, he had the young, the, the more uh, fresher tires, shall we say. And he was really catching him at rate and not. So it's quite a shame that we were sort of robbed of the opportunity to see both of them um, have that fight. Um, but of course, Ricardo did well to hold him off uh, on similar compounds. So well done to Ricardo. Um, and I think we're going to move on to Albon now. And uh, Albon under pressure, I've got here on my notes. And, uh, you know, I, I know James wants to say something here. Um, so actually, I'm just going to skip my synopsis and just go straight to James, who probably has a lot to say on this. Go on. I know oh, I was having to bounce off what you were saying. Um, <laughs> uh, it was it was a frustrating race to watch from Albon's perspective. I I've never been like a huge kind of Albon fan. I've defended him a lot when people have been talking about him about to lose his seat and needing to improve, but not out of kind of always being an Albon fan, just because I think he's a really good driver and that his performances have largely been misread. But this race was not a good one. You know, I, he seemed to have it in for the Alpha Tauris for a lot of it. You know, the collision with Kvyat and the near miss with Gasly. Yeah. And then on top of that, he had the the big lockup on lap one. The I'll get uh, in my seat. Sorry. <laughs> 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 he had that big lockup on lap one at turn three that Red Bull said he flat spotted his tyres all the way through to the carcass and they had to pit for safety reasons, because it's just shaking the car apart. So that put him way down at the back of the field, going through traffic, and his race just kind of fell apart from there until he then picked up the damage to his radiator and had to retire. And yeah, this he seems, he's just having a very up and down season. You know, he had like the podium at Mugello that was brilliant and timely, and we all thought, okay, Albon saved his seat then. And then a few races later, he has a race like this, and suddenly he's under pressure again, and he just can't seem to hook a race weekend together and then two race weekends together and it's such a shame to watch because he is a good driver but he's in that I think he's just in a similar position to Bottas where he's in almost an impossible situation where he's got to maybe more an impossible situation than Bottas he's got he's expected to match Verstappen but not match him too closely that he beat him but match him closely enough that he pushes Verstappen along and encourages him but still stays behind him. And he just, he's not there and he can't seem to hook up 
enough of a lap like throughout qualifying throughout the race to get there when you add on to the fact that the Red Bull is very much designed to Verstappen's kind of driving style and that Verstappen is probably outperforming the car as much as Albon is underperforming in the car mm. yeah yeah uh, I I was just I was gutted seeing um, every time the camera kind of cut back to Albon and he was making another mistake and just thinking please just settle down a little bit like whatever's going on here and I think he always seems to make these kind of problems where he has a bad qualifying and granted he qualified fifth this weekend which is really good but you know he was pipped by Leclerc dropped back a little bit on the opening lap made that mistake and he seems to try and kind of catch up and almost overdrives it and overthinks it and things just start going wrong and it's these little mistakes that just build and build and build until until the weekend just falls apart for him yeah yeah Luca yeah, that move that he put on Kvyat in the braking zone, like that is just racecraft 101. You do not deviate to go into like the braking zone if you're not 100% sure you've cleared the the car who you've overtaken. And that was just very clumsy from Albon and he I, definitely deserved the penalty. Go on. Say, that's the move that I do on F1 2020 when I'm not winning and I <laughs> a car and I just... <laughs> I just chop across the front of the overtaking car and it'll just send it into a spin. That's always when you got damage turned off. Yeah. And, and every, when I saw that, I was like, that's, that's an F1 2020 move. What are you doing? It was, it was bizarre. Sorry, Luca, go on. That's fine. It's fine. You make a good point. Like about like, that is just that you expect it of a, of a, a shaggy looking long haired noob. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Excuse me. Uh, No. <laughs> um, you expect that of like someone who is, but it, that is just like the most basic thing you you don't do in in racing. You don't move across until you're 100. percent You stay if anything, like on your line. If you're not, if you can't clear the guy long before the the entry to the corner, you just don't. So Albon completely deserved that penalty, and I, I hate to be too harsh on him, but one thing I have noticed is that whenever James is harsh on him. He seems to perform brilliantly for the following race. So, James, I need you to like just go on Twitter and say that Albon's doing terribly, and and he's ne- and he's going to lose his Red Bull seat because then he'll win races. Okay? Yeah, if I write I just... another hot take about how he's about to lose his seat, he'll probably win in uh, Portimao. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably will. Good uh, luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all I have to say about it. All right. He tries to ask. Sorry. Yeah. Go on, Chris. Say just tries too hard. He, un- he over tries, and then if he doesn't, if he pushes the car for Stappen to fight the extra tenth to split the Mercedes, that's the difference. If, if he, it'll be it'll be that extra two three tenths close to Verstappen. Go hang on, oh, and then Verstappen will look at that data. Go, oh, Alvin's found an extra tenth here. I'll I'll, I'll push the car there because that that's what Verstappen was looking at in his data in qualifying. And then he was only like half a tenth because Red Bull bought the upgrades this weekend, the new wings and uh, the hollow front wing. Very new update. And um, they, they seem to be a lot closer here. And I think if it's uh, Magello and Imola seem to be the next uh, the next two, not Magello, sorry, Portimao and Imola, uh, they're the next two places, I think. Otherwise, it's going to be a domination for the next whole season. Yeah, no, I agree. So... Um, all right, so we're just going to move on, and I am aware that we're sort of we're going to 
we're starting to run out of time and we've got a couple <laughs> more points. So I'm just going to kind of touch on these really quickly. You know, the other talking points were that, um, you know, Norris unfortunately had to retire with a PU issue uh, three quarters of the way through the race, which was unfortunate given the fact that he had to take a new engine coming into this weekend. So who knows what that was, but maybe Will Norris is going to have some penalties in the future, which is a shame. Um, oh, the 250 place grid penalty that they yeah. seem to. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's broken. You know, he, he drove incredibly Bring well. Bring the main. Well. Um, it was a shame to see him drop out. And uh, of course, there was Grosjean who got into the points uh, P8 with a with a broken finger. P9. P9. Uh, P9. Sorry. Thank you, Luca. And, uh, uh, you know, he was complaining on the radio for a bit, didn't he? That uh, was it Kimmy went onto the gravel and a piece mm. of. The gravel had Do you that? <laughs> his broken finger yeah and gosh i mean that that must have been absolutely horrible um to race with and the fact that he had the endurance to last a whole uh race distance with that and still getting for points is remarkable so this is why we need the aero screen he got his two two pints at the end as well for celebrating if he'd done that in lotus when he got the last podium um he'd, be, he'd have been pints. exactly 15 pints or oh, he'd have been absolutely sozzled <laughs> Yeah, that's. I mean, he's. Uh, that was his first points, isn't it? And it puts him above Magnussen in the standing. So mm. that's going to be interesting to see how that that plays with who, if any, keep the half seat next year. So that's going to be Neither. very important for him. Um, he drove a brilliant race, to be honest. Um, so well done to Roman. And Giovinazzi uh, did as well. And Giovinazzi did as well. Yeah, did he? He finished uh, P10, didn't he? Yeah, he was those Ferrari boys looming. Mm-hmm. Yes. He finished yeah. ahead of Vettel. That's gonna hurt. Yes, he did not have a good race, did he? Good old Vettel. Um, unfortunate, really, given that Leclerc um, once again sort of outperformed that car, putting it where he did in P4 and uh, finished in P7. Seven. Seven. Thanks, Luca. And once again, Vettel seemed to be miles off the pace and uncomfortable with the balance of the car. And it remains seen as to whether he will pick it up. Uh, it seems unlikely at this point. So not looking good for him. But uh, I think just want to touch on one last thing before we sort of start wrapping it up. And that was Kimi Raikkonen. Um, and that was that he achieved uh, the records of the most amount of Grand Prix starts for any F1 driver. Q klaxon sound uh if, if anyone if editor has that um on 327 starts um which is absolutely incredible although it was quite funny to see how on some of the uh the features on sky f1 they kept trying to tell him they kept trying to say what do you think of it what, what do you think of it and he was like i just i don't care <laughs> he was like, what else is new with kimmy care of it, which, uh that's kimmy isn't it that's that's kimmy all over but what was that um, thing you said? It was like, well, most records are meant to be broken in most sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kimmy would have actually, because if people forget that he actually missed 2010 and 2011, imagine if he'd like been in those two years, he would have been on like, what, 340 something starts now. That would be incredible. Mm. Wow. Like, but yeah, Kimmy, Kimmy doesn't care. Kimmy wouldn't <laughs> care if a Finnish Grand Prix happened. Kimmy just is Kimmy, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. So, thank you very much, guys. And uh, driver I just... of the day. Oh, what? Yes. 
Oh, Drive just because you want Hulkenberg again mentioned. <laughs> hey, you don't know. You don't know. Well, I'm giving it a Hulkenberg, so if you don't give it a Hulkenberg, you're blind. <laughs> yeah. I do, I, go on, Adam. You, you first. Who would you give Driver of the Day to? Oh, Driver of the Day. Um, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to give it to... I'm going to give it to... We haven't actually spoken about him, actually, this race, but I'm going to give it to Gasly. Um, he... Uh, you know, once again, outside of the top 10. And he made that sort of uh, going on to the harder compound sort of strategy work for him again, which he sort of has tended to do throughout a lot of the races recently. And he was right on the back of Carlos Sainz in the last few laps. I remember seeing the lap counter get to just within a second come the chequered flag. Um, and he just seems to be driving the absolute, you know, the wheels off that Alpha Tori. So there's a lot of contenders for drive of the day. It's it's it's. I know a lot of you are probably going to pick some some other worthy people, but I'm just going to give it to to Gasly. Actually, I thought he did an absolutely magnificent job. Uh, who wants to go next? Uh, Luca, go for it. Oh no, someone else. We might have lost Luca. Oh, uh, okay. Hello, Luca. Can you hear me? Yes, we've oh, yes. got you back again. Yeah. What happened there? Okay, never mind. We, we can talk about it after. Um, I'm going to go for... Um, I know I, 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 I love the fact that Hulkenberg came back and did what he did. And Chris is right. I'm not going to give it to anyone else. I mean, I like to think normally be original, but Chris beat me to it. Screw you. <laughs> um, yeah, Hulkenberg, you've heard me wax lyrical about him. He, he's been incredible this, with this race. Uh, giving it to him. Okay. Fantastic. James, who was your driver of the day? I, I know I'm biased being a Ricardo fan, but it, his performance, like getting up into that podium position and then holding off Perez, even if he was helped by the safety car, he just drove brilliantly all day. So Daniel Ricardo. if Norris had finished the race, I might have given it to him because he also drove spectacularly. And I think he's probably the honourable mention. Yeah. The fact that he managed to keep going for so long, pressing control, alt, delete after every corner. Yeah. It's quite impressive. Remember, remember when Driver of the Day first started happening and they all kept giving it to like Verstappen and even when he retired, Verstappen parked that car like a champion. <laughs> I remember when it started the first couple of races, it was a landslide to Rio Harianto yes, every time. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's like the entire population of Indonesia was voting for Harianto. Yeah. Unbelievable. Doesn't 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 he um doesn't he own some sort of like stationary business now? I've heard. <laughs> I feel, I feel wow. sort of feeling that's what he does. He's uh, he's in the stationary business. Can I, I just know. say, Rio Harianto, when he raced in GP3 in 2010, when I went there, at the time, I was, you know the song Alejandro by Lady Gaga? Harianto, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Rio Harianto, Rio Harianto. That, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. just had an idea for a feature article on F1 drivers with weird post-F1 careers. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, Jody like Schechter and his dairy farm. Charles, Charles Peake is now a manager at some kind of like transportation firm, I think. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, and of course, gonna... there's Robert Dornboss with his business, which you can look up because I'm not mentioning it on air. Okay. <laughs> I'll, you will have to tell me about that. Uh, Chris, last but not least, driver of the day. Nicholas Latifi. Um <laughs> What, for being the person who with the most FP1 spins? <laughs> well, I don't know. It came close, wasn't it? Um, uh, 
I'll probably have to it'd be Holkenberg, but yeah, fair shout for Gasly. But yeah, Holkenberg for just getting a sign up, job done, park his Porsche up, very nice car and uh, solid points. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic guys. So uh, in two weeks time, Formula One goes to Portimao, another racetrack. Robert Donboss makes sex toys. <laughs> Freaking hell, Luca. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. We need to finish the episode. Come on. So um, we go to Portimao and uh, moving swiftly on, we've never been there. Uh, just quickly before we finish, who do we think? Uh, who we who we who do we have for the win? And who do we think? Hamilton, of course. The, uh, best of the rest is what I'm just going to quickly ask. Norris, best of the rest. Interesting. Norris, best of the rest. James. Uh, Perez. Perez. Chris. The best of the rest. Um, I'm going to go. It's going to rain. No, I'm joking. Um, it's going to be dry, <laughs> bone dry, and you're going to have the usual three on the podium in Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas um, and best of the rest is going to be Hulkenberg <laughs> <laughs> subbing for whoever he's going he's gonna to somehow find a way in he's just inevitable it's the, uh, oh. anyway Stroll's going to slap uh, the shits that's what I'm... let's uh, God. let's close this episode now uh, thanks guys thank you all for, for coming and thank you all for listening um do all of you want to just quickly say to the listeners uh give your twitter handles or where they can reach you so uh luca where can the fans reach you uh that can be reached me by airplane boat car <laughs> <laughs> i'm very literal uh you can find me on twitter at red luca 56 where i post very funny jokes that's debatable nice uh and james uh, i'm on twitter at james 16 matthews okay and chris and you can catch me at, at C underscore Lordy91. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. And thank you. Do you want to mention your do you want to mention your social media? Oh, thank you. I almost forgot. It's exactly <laughs> like the Indy 500 episode. It's like the Indy 500 episode all over again. Um, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Wheeler underscore deals. Um, play on the Wheeler dealer sort of thing going on there. Anyway, uh, thank you all for joining us here for the next installment for the Pitcast. And of course, Keep up to date on all of our social media uh, for regular posts on the Pit Crew online, uh, for regular features throughout the week. And uh, we will see you all out on track.